thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. We have been studying the book of Philippians as the book of the month, and I hope you've taken time to read through this book. Um, It is a very encouraging book. It's one of the most personal, intimate letters in the New Testament, and it was a book that Paul wrote to his friends that were very close to him. And one of the things before we even get into the teaching tonight that I want you to know always strikes me as super cool about the Bible. The Bible was originally written as a collection of writings to certain people. One man, the Apostle Paul, sat down and wrote a letter to his friends at the Church of Philippi, and he was writing to their very specific needs, just like when he wrote to the church at Colossae, just like when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he was writing to their very specific needs, but God inspired him to write these words, and he was just thinking he was addressing certain friends' needs, certain church members' needs, but God was superintending the whole time for that writing, not just to be for them then, but for us thousands of years later. That is just incredibly cool to me. I love that about the Word of God. We're going to just go through and do a little Bible study tonight. I appreciate you coming back. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I want to talk to you from a Bible study tonight titled, Let's Get Our Minds Right. Let's get our minds right. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this letter to the Philippians, God. And I thank you for these words to us. I pray that you'd anoint me to teach what you'd have us to hear, God. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage us tonight, instruct us for your benefit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going through this four-chapter book of Philippians this month. You could read this book a lot of times. I hope you read it at least once between now and the end of the month. But my goal is typically not to speed read the Bible. I don't try to speed read the Bible. I try to slow it down take it phrase by phrase, pause on the punctuation, just like I teach you to do, and try to get something of it in me. Because it's more important what I can digest than how many times I can brag about reading the book of Philippians in one month. So what I'm going to do tonight is what I do so many times on a Sunday night or Wednesday night Bible study. I'm just going to do my basic Bible study in front of you. I'm going to read to you and show you how I study this so it'll give you an idea of how you can study it as well. So just starting from the beginning, because it's always a great place to start, the first verse in chapter 2 says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? So Paul begins this portion of his letter by asking four rhetorical questions. Now, a rhetorical question is what? It's a question that you already know the answer. The answer is assumed. If, if somebody looks at you, if your parent looks at you and says, are you stupid? Well, you might not be sure of the answer, but they're hoping you say, no, sir. 
or no, ma'am. If, if somebody looks at you and says, do you want to wear that hat on your head for the rest of your life? I mean, these are just ridiculous questions, so obvious that the answer is implied that they're called rhetorical questions. And I want us to look at these one by one. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Now, the Apostle Paul is a very encouraged dude. Now, the weird thing about that is he's probably, to our knowledge, one of, if not the most persecuted Christian alive on the planet during that time. Now, Stephen has already been uh, killed during this time, so there's already been Christian martyrs, but as far as people who are still alive, this guy had been through a lot. This guy had been beaten multiple times with rods. He had been stoned and left for dead. He had a lot of hardship in Christ, but he also was able to see the good stuff. Are you ever able to see the good stuff? Now, depending on your personality and on how you were raised, you may be either prone to see the good more or to see the bad more. If you were raised by a very nice, loving, affirming, tender person, you probably see a lot of good. If you were raised by a very mean, hard-charging, um, domineering person, you probably see the bad. Personally, me, you guys know, if you've been around me at all, I can, I can have... Deacon Jimmy, Deacon Scott, Dina and Ken in here hanging posters and banners all night, working them out perfect, getting a laser level. I want to come in and encourage them. I want to come in and tell them how much I appreciate them volunteering their time and being up here to do such a great job for the church. But every time my eye goes right to that rack that where the left corner is higher than the right corner. Don't look at it now because nobody needs to feel bad about that. You, you do the same? Yeah. Um, yeah, right. So that is a horrible quality to have. And let me, let me tell you this. Nobody wants to have that quality. I am so thankful that God allows uh, my older sister to be our church administrator. Very few other people would be willing to put up with me. But she knows me, and she was raised by the same stepfather that I was raised by. And we were forced to see every speck of dust. We were forced to see every speck of dirt. So when I come into a room, instead of seeing the nine Kleenex boxes that are on the floor where they should be, I just wonder, why would anybody leave a Kleenex box on the front row right there looking all out of place, and why isn't the top on that bucket full of cards? And hopefully you're not like that. But Paul was able to see the good and the bad. He was a very balanced person. Paul is an unusual person person inside the body of Christ because as I told you this morning most of the people that God chose in the body of Christ are the lesser thans the off scouring the scum on the bottom of the barrel the people who came from the wrong side of the tracks it, it's not God God doesn't need to save Bill Gates to get Bill Gates money God needs to save some drug addict some ex-felon somebody who's on the wrong side of the tracks so when he puts his power in them everybody give the credit to God and not to Bill Gates and and but Paul's different because Paul was the who's who. He was the, the man among men. He was the guy born to the right family. He came from money. He had the best education. He had the best pedigree. He had the best resume. He was one of the smartest human beings alive. He was one of the wealthiest human beings alive. And he was one of the most connected human beings alive. He was part of the government. He was the trusted arm of the government that they gave the documents to go and chase down Christians and kill them. So he's not the typical guy that comes to church. He knew how to have a lot. 
He knew how to have nothing. He knew how to see the good, and he knew how to see the bad. But he doesn't just ask this question to people who see good. He doesn't just ask these questions to people who see bad. He asks these questions under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to everyone who claims to be saved. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And he was smart enough, he was discerning enough that he knew who he was talking to. Now, if I was to ask an overly optimistic person, if I was to ask Cliff Bridges, is there anything to be excited about? Well, Cliff stays on excitement. So, that I mean, he's going to just be, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. But if I was to pick out, I'm not even going to name the most down-in-the-mouth, lemon-sucking uh depressed negative people in the room uh, because you feel bad about it enough already. But if I was to ask somebody other than Cliff, man, can you even find anything to be encouraged? Do you see the difference in asking those two questions? You come in as a coach, as, as a life coach, as a mentor, as a spiritual father, and, and you see a room full of people. It's just like being back on the ball field. You can find players, and you're like, man, can we get fired up about anything? Some players uh, are, are just Ray Lewis. They're, they're on 100 all the time. They're, they're excited and raring to go all the time. Other people have to be prodded. And this question works well for both people. Is there anything to be encouraged about? Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? And he asks these four rhetorical questions in this verse for our learning. This is what the Bible tells us. We have these stories for our example so that we can learn more about God, more about us, and more about the way God wants to deal with us. You need to understand and accept the fact whether you're coming from the under position or the over position, there's a lot to be encouraged about. There is a lot to be encouraged about, not just from being a Christian, but from belonging to Christ. If you ever realize that Christ owns you, if you ever realize that he owns you because he bought you, he purchased us with his own blood. We are his purchased possession. Do you know when people go out and buy stuff, they buy stuff they want? You know, when people go out and spend a lot of money on stuff, they buy stuff that they value at a really high level. God values us at a really high level. There is encouragement from belonging to Christ. Don't take the, the sour mouth view of that. Take the excited view of that. But whether you come from either extreme, realize this. There are things to be encouraged about if you believe you belong to Christ. Then he asked the second rhetorical question. Is there any comfort from his love? And he said, I, I can see it the same way. I ask, if I ask somebody who was fired up all the time, man, is it, is it great to be loved by God? And they would just be over the top beaming about how awesome it is to know that the God that created everything loves them, just little old me. And then I ask the other person who just can't find any happiness at all, and I'm like, does, does it comfort you at all to know that God loves you? And, well, I guess. But whether you're the above position or the below position, we need to understand that the answer to all these questions is yes, there is comfort from his love. And we need to keep these things in the forefront of our mind. God wasn't wasting space when he had Paul say these things. It's not a waste of paper in our Bible that these four questions are there. These questions are here to give us life, to give us strength, to encourage us, and to build our faith. There is comfort in his love. The psalmist knew it. The psalmist went through more probably than Paul did in many ways, although not physical ways as much as Paul went through. But he went through a lot of rejection. He went through a lot of... Uh, family pain. He went through a lot of different issues, even in his own mind, and he had to come to the place where he said, if the whole world turns on me, if mama and daddy forsake me, the Lord will still be there for me. You need to get your mind wrapped around the fact that God loves me. Or 
say that to yourself. He does love me, but he loves you too if you, if you love him, if you believe in him. God loves you. I believe the reason, number one reason that people in the church are depressed is because they don't believe God loves them. Nine grunts and no amen. That's the truth. I believe the reason people in Christ have to be medicated on anxiety medication, uh, and, and some of the stuff's a chemical imbalance, and I, I understand that. Work that out with your doctor. But if you ever could get it really in your mind, he loves me. Oh, he loves me. They write songs to try to remind the church that he loves me. Growing up, we teach kids, Jesus loves the little children. Or we teach kids the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. That's all the information the world really needs. If you could get your head around the fact that Jesus loves me, not because we deserve it, not because we've done anything good, not because we're holy and righteous and we never mess up, but because he wants to love us. Yes, there is comfort in knowing that. Next time you're having the best day of your life, I want you to rejoice in the fact that God loves you. And the next day you're having the worst, next time you're having the worst day of your life, I want you to dust yourself off and remind yourself, no matter what this day looks like, I know God loves me. Next time you're having a mediocre day, I want you to remind yourself that God loves you. Paul goes on to write, is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Same thing. If I'm asking somebody like Cliff, uh, man, is, is, is there any fellowship at all? Is, is the fact that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, is that meaningful to you? And he'd be beaming and going, oh, I'm so, I love my family in Christ. And some people have come to find out, I've witnessed to this, in many ways, your spiritual family will be much closer to you than your biological family. Your spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ will take on a much more uh, dominant role in your life than your biological family because, you know, my biological family comes from Germany, Israel, New Jersey, Louisiana, California, England, and here, okay? So, and I don't know many of them at all, but I know my brothers and sisters in Christ. And is there, is there any value in the fellowship we have together. I wonder, tomorrow night we're going to fellowship together in here. And, and I, I've, I've seen some people, and I'm not going to call their names because they know who they are, but God knows who they are too, that have been here every night of this time of prayer. Now, I told you, you don't have to be here every night. We're not tracking. We're not keeping attendance. We're not handing out medals, and God's not giving away brownie points for being here, but God knows you coming. And it's a sacrifice to get here especially in the middle of the week, especially dur during the week when Monday through Friday things are going on. But if you believe that there's any real fellowship in the Spirit, you ought to want to come. See, that's one of the ways America has gotten worse in the last two generations. It used to be every community had a church. People didn't used to drive through 25 miles of traffic to get to a, past 75 churches on their way to the church they, they go to. And I know Ken and Diane drive past 1,000 churches just to get here coming from where they come from. But churches used to be right in the neighborhood. And when the church bell rang, everybody showed up. The church bell's ringing, time to go to church. Why? Because they believed that there was a real fellowship in the Spirit. And then the fourth question that God asks, he says, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now, here's one, still a rhetorical question, I believe, coming, coming from the inspiration of God, because God has made our hearts more tender and more compassionate. Here's the deal. You can't really judge where someone's at unless you know where they started. 
I can remember, and this is on tape, so this could be brutal, but I love her and she knows I love her. I can remember the first month I started going to church in July of 1981 at a church called Hillcrest Baptist Church on the corner of Plymouth and LaBelle right off Cassett Avenue on the west side of Jacksonville. And I saw probably one of the largest, most heavyset girls I'd ever seen in my life. And she was wearing a shirt that said, I have lost 114 pounds. Dina knows who I'm talking about. Just the sweetest soul you ever met in the world. Um, and she was so happy that she had lost over 114 pounds, but she was still by far twice as big as anybody in the room. Now, if somebody looked at her that didn't know her, they could judge her and say, wow, that girl needs to lose weight. But she could turn around and say, when's the last time you lost 114 pounds? Do you understand what I'm saying? People could look at somebody and say, wow, you really need God to soften your heart. Well, do you know how hard their heart was before they came to Christ? You could look at somebody and say, wow, you really should be nicer than you are. Well, do you know how far they've come in that area? Everybody who is saved has some tenderness and some compassion in their heart. So this question still follows the pattern of rhetorical questions. But we need to make sure that our hearts are tender and that our hearts are compassionate. I believe that for us to fulfill the call of God on our lives as a church, we have to specialize in compassion for people because we're a church that's asking anybody to come that wants to come. We're a church that's asking homeless people and felons and, and, and people coming out of serious issues or still in serious issues to come to our church. That takes a lot of compassion. That takes compassion that most churches don't have. Do you realize most churches don't have to deal with, with difficult people issues because when, when people come with problems to their church, do you know what most churches do? Anybody got any idea what most churches do when somebody like that shows up? They ignore them. They, 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 they look at them and, and they jerk their head and walk away and they make them feel bad. So why? Because they don't want them coming back next week asking for help with the light bill. They don't want them coming back next week asking for counsel, free counseling about how they can get off the things that they're addicted to. But we're not a church like that. We're a church that determined from the day we started, we're going to love everybody, everybody that comes through these doors, no matter how big a problem they have. I have call, I've had people call up and ask, can I come to your church? I'm on parole. I got to check with, with, with my uh my parole officer, where I'm going to church, and church is running people off. Church is telling people, no, listen, we need to be more compassionate to hurting people because if the church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners to come and get better and the church turns people away, where are people going to get better? They can't tell their self about Jesus. The Bible says if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. So you need to make sure that you understand that there is an encouragement that should come to you from belonging to Christ. There's a comfort that should come to you from knowing that he loves you. There is a fellowship of being around God's people that spiritually connects us and that we need to be tender and compassionate. I can stop right there, but let's, let's, let's push on a little bit in the Bible study to verse 2. It says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. All right, so if I'm studying this at home, I, I, I just start reading. Then make me truly happy. Well, who is the me here? Well, for the people in Philippi, it's Paul. But who's inspiring Paul to write this letter? God. So this, this is either the man of God or God, and either one of them, uh, according to the Scripture, should be listened to. 
uh, it says, make me truly happy. You ought to want to make God truly happy. You ought to want to make the apostle truly happy. It says, how can we make God truly happy? By agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, comma. All right? So that is one. Then you see loving one another. That is what number? Two. And then we see working together. That is what? Three. So there are three things in this verse that we need to focus on if we want to make God happy. If we want to make God happy, we have to agree with each other, comma, pause, stop on that, think about it. Okay, if I want to make God happy, I have to agree with other people inside the church. You have to be agreeable. Now, some people have coined the cliche, well, we can just agree to what? That's not agreement. That, that's just being mad and feeling like you're tired of arguing. Well, I'm not asking you to agree to disagree. I'm asking you to agree on the big things and realize that's all that really matters. It's like Robbie Rose used to say, um, don't sweat the little stuff, and remember, it's all little stuff. The church should not be arguing about what's going to happen in the tribulation. The church should not be arguing about what, what time frame Jesus is going to come back. The church should not be dividing itself based on anything that ha doesn't have to do with salvation. See, we believe at Abundant Life that as long as we agree on the big stuff, we're okay. Well, what's the big stuff? That Jesus is the only way to heaven. How can I be sure that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Because that's what he said. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus was not broad-minded and tolerant. He was not inclusive. He was very exclusive. He said, it's only through me that you can get that. Listen, the Bible says in Colossians that we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We're not children of God. We're not fellowshipping in the Spirit because we all agree on tithes and offerings. We're not fellowshipping in the Spirit. We're not spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ because we all agree on speaking in tongues. We're not brothers and sisters in Christ because we all agree in a pre-tribulation return of Christ, a post-tribulation return, a mid-trib, a pre-wrath. We're not brothers and sisters in Christ because we're pre-millennialist or amillennialist or post-millennialist or non-millennialist. And we're not even brothers and sisters in Christ if you know what a millennialist is or if you could spell it. We're brothers and sisters in Christ because we believe in Jesus. And if God is your father and the person sitting next to you is God is their father, then that makes us family. And God says that we should agree with each other. Now, he's writing to Christians. See, we can't agree with the world because the world doesn't agree with us. The, Jesus said, marvel not if the world hates you, they hated me first. They didn't receive him. They're not going to receive the ones he sends. This is a letter to Christians about God speaking to them about their behavior. We need to agree wholeheartedly with each other. Well, you cannot agree on everything. Some people thought Carolina was going to win today. Some people thought the Seahawks were going to win today. Everybody can't be right. But what you ought to agree on is what's already been talked about in verse 1. Because the Bible is a book written in context, as is most literature. Verse 2 builds off verse 1. Well, what do we want to agree on from verse 1? Well, we want to agree that it's encouraging to belong to Christ, that it's comforting to know that he loves us, that we should be fellowshipping together in the spirit, and we should be tender, and we should be compassionate. These are the things we need to wholeheartedly agree on because that's what the word is talking. But then he goes on bigger. I said that there's three things to do. The first one is that we agree wholeheartedly with each other. But the second one is shorter in number of words but bigger in concept, loving one another. You want to make God happy? 
You got to love one another. Well, that's not easy to do. It's especially not easy to do at a church like ours because most churches segregate for a reason because rich people have more things in common with rich people than they have with poor people. And poor people have more things in common than they have in common with rich people. And white people go to white churches. Black people go to black churches. Hispanics go to Hispanic churches. I have no idea what's going on with this Mormon church up the street that is usually packed that hasn't had anybody in it in the last two weeks. If you can find out what's going on with that building, I'd be a buyer on it. If they want to sell it to us, then they, we wouldn't have to turn down this ditch to come be seen here. We'd just be on Firestone Road with lots of land and lots of stuff. But different, different speech for a different time. We are a church for all people, red, yellow, black, white, young, old, rich, poor, educated, and non-educated. Well, it's easy to love people that are just like you. Jesus said in the Gospels, if, if, you, if you love people who do good to you, what value is it in that? I mean, if you love somebody who's just like you and, you know, sings the song the same way you sing it, that, that's not hard to do. But can you love somebody who's different than you? That's the call on Christianity. See, I don't believe there's any place in God's church for racism. I don't believe there's any place in God's church for prejudice, but can I say this to you as plainly as I know how? Everybody's prejudiced. I appreciate that, Deacon Mills. I, I, and, and somebody grunted, oh, I think it was Victor. Uh, everybody's, hey, you, you, you prejudiced about something? You like grits better than you like cream of wheat, I hope. You better like sweet tea more than you like unsweet tea, because if you don't, you got bad taste buds, you need to see a doctor. I mean, you better like pancakes more than crepes because it's just better for you. It's more filling. You get your money's worth. Everybody's prejudiced about something. You know, you need to like the Florida Gators because why would an all-girls school team girl school even have a football team? You know what I'm saying? I mean, hey, be a Seminole fan if you want to, but it doesn't make any sense. Everybody's prejudiced about something. And I say all those things lightheartedly, but do you realize everybody that has ever been raised in America has an issue with people of a different color. You can hide behind it and act like it doesn't exist. You can hide behind it. You think racism is alive, Jeff, in America? You, you, you think it's real? Or is it small or is it big? It's big. It's very big. This community does not like us. This community does not want to see this. I, I pick on Jeff and Joyce because they're, they're here and they love the Lord and they serve in ministry. They... they it doesn't make a whole lot of people comfortable. In 2016, come on now. It don't make sense, does it, Joyce? In 2016, that anybody would even think sideways about that? We are a melting pot of a country. We're a country of everybody from all around the world coming together to be one people anyhow. But Americans still have problems with race. And we have got to learn how to be open about that. We've got to learn how to dialogue about that. You've got to learn how to put yourself in another person's position. I believe this, and I'm not going to run all y'all off and make y'all quit the church tonight with my theories on race relationships. But I believe the reason the majority of white people don't have the proper view of black people is because they've never taken the time to get to know a black person that they could love and respect and appreciate. And I believe the reason the majority of black people don't have the proper view of white people because they've never taken the time to get to know a white person that they could enjoy and love and appreciate. Because any amount of time that you spend with somebody, if you strip away your preconceived notions, you're going to find out. Behind all this melanin is a human being. Red, yellow, black, or white. Two eyes, one nose, one mouth, two arms, two legs, one heart. Same color blood. 
But we let us divide. We let this nation tell us you, you got to pick a side. Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, right wing, left wing. You, you got you to pick. You, you got to have. Look, the only side we need to pick is Christ. That's how you love somebody. That's how you love somebody. My hope is not in the next president. I already told you all that. It, it ain't even relevant to me. I, I think they're all like pro wrestlers anyway. I think they're all con men. They're all on the same team, and they all just want to keep getting reelected. I don't believe much of anything. that any, Don't send me your quotes from your favorite guy or girl because, you know, you, you do you, I'm going to do me. I'm going to believe that God has America in control. And if America slips, uh, God will have me in control. But he told us if we want to make him happy, first thing we got to do is be agreeing with each other. Second thing we got to do is be loving each other. And the third thing we've got to do is working together. Well, that's even harder to do. I think this thing starts off easy and gets harder as it goes. It, well, it starts off hard and gets harder. To agree with people, that's not easy for people who want their way. And guess how many people want their way? That's right. Do you know how hard it is to teach somebody to be selfish? It's not because you don't teach people to be selfish. They come out of the womb selfish. If you don't believe that, work in the nursery and watch them say, mine, 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 mine. And every toy in there belongs to the church. But they're going to say, mine, 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 mine. Why? Because they want their way. You don't have to teach somebody to be selfish. So just getting agreement is hard enough. But then when you go beyond agreement and say, love one another, because that means love people with a different opinion than you have. That means love people who aren't like you. That means love people who like stuff you don't even like. You know, I, I had to come, come to a conclusion that I am going to have to love people even from Pennsylvania. I'm going to have to love people even from Minnesota. I'm, I'm going to have to love people from, from all over. Listen, non-grit-eating folk, you know, cream of wheat-eating folk, people who put blue cheese on their, on, on their stuff, people who order Thousand Island dressing. It's so funny to me. You go to a barbecue place in Jacksonville, and, and they ask, you know, what kind of dressing do you want on your salad? I always look at them like they're crazy. You see me here five times a week. I, I'm as country as a chicken foot. I grew up on the west side of Jack. What kind of salad dressing do you think I would eat? That's only, anybody know? That's the only kind of salad dressing. People in the south eat ranch. What do people in the north eat? Thousand Islands. I don't want anything that color, texture, combination that looked like it might already been ate before. I'm just going leave that alone. But I don't, I don't put chunky stuff on my salad. Let me keep going. You got to love people that aren't just like you. That's funny. I don't care if who you are. The Bible says laughing does a heart good like a medicine. But that's harder than even agreeing with them. Because you can pretend to agree with them, but you can't really pretend to love somebody. Not for long, because you'll get found out. But then it goes even beyond that. This is a building block from hard to harder to hardest. And... Sometimes that's good news and sometimes it's bad. And means there's more. Working together. Not just working together, but working together with one mind and purpose. And it's so difficult to get people in church to even come to work. We have a work day. So folk, folk don't show up, hardly ever. doesn't really matter what we have a work day for. And I think we got a lot of good people in our church. And sometimes we get some good support. I know we got some good support on that move we did in record time. Um, but a lot of times people won't show up. And some people won't work inside the church. And sometimes people who want to work inside the church, and people on my staff know this because we have to deal with it all the time, some people are just hard to let be on the team, 
Even if it's just, let's move chairs. Some people are hard to be on the team because they got their theory about how we're going to move the chairs. And they need to be in charge. And you, you got to walk on eggshells around them. Or you, 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 you got to worry about fragile egos. Listen, when it comes to serving the Lord, nobody should want to be in charge. You know why? Because the people with the responsibility are the ones who are responsible for it. And you ought to, I, one thing I loved about the military, I know how to do what I'm told. I was raised to be that way or pay the penalty. I know how to do what I'm told. And I know how to do what I'm told even when I disagree with it. That's why Bishop said surround yourself with men in leadership who've been in the military because they know how to do what you tell them even if they think you're stupid because they had to do that in the military their whole career. I know how to do what I'm told, and I used to love just something weird about me, pray for me, when some E7 would come into my section where I was the leader and tell us to change something we were doing and do it a different way. And I knew how the major wanted it done. And I try to tell him, uh, you know, Major Jones said we should go left. Do you hear me? And then he would rank up on me and tell me, that, uh, and, you know, there's a saying in the military, uh, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. We just do anything you want to say. You want to do it that way? Guess what's going on? When Major Jones comes in the room and he says, Corporal Becker, who told you to stack these chairs this way? I didn't tell you. And he starts climbing on my back, and I tell him, well, Staff sergeant said he wanted them stacked the other way. Guess who's in trouble now? Not me. Why? Because I'm not the one responsible. What am I trying to tell you? Don't be hard to work with. Get a job inside the church and do it the way you're told. Get a job inside the church and be easy to be on the team. Well, what if you want it done your way? Then you probably need to learn how to be flexible. Because if you're going to love people, you have to be flexible. If you're going to work with people, you have to be flexible. If you're going to be an agreeing person, you have to be flexible. Let's keep going. We might have time for one more verse. Verse 3. Okay, now there's, let me, let me let you pick out how many things there are to do. Count them in your head. Pause on the punctuation. And there are a certain number of things in this verse that we are commanded to do. I'm going to give you a second. Okay, anybody got a guess on how many things verse 3 tells us to do? Four things. See, now you're all Bible geniuses. Now you all have good interpretive skills. Four things to do. How can you find them? Because Pastor Scott's been telling you every service for the last 14 and a half years, pay attention to the punctuation. It's there for your perfection. It'll help you understand the Scripture. Four things that we are commanded to do. Number one is what? Don't be selfish. Man, this is a beat down on some folk tonight. This, this, this is to, to non-agreeable people that aren't loving anyway. Now, now they're being told don't be selfish. Listen, learn how to become who God wants you to be. Learn how to, it, don't worry about how you were brought up, how you were raised. Don't, don't fall back on that. Just become all that God wants you to be. Don't be selfish. I told you a minute ago, selfishness isn't taught. Selfishness is born into us. Some people just display theirs a little bit more than others. But this is how God expects us to behave together. Don't be selfish. Number two, don't try to impress others. I had, when we were in Middleburg, I had a couple of people from an independent Baptist church up the street uh, who were tearing up our property. They were turning a bus around in our property every Sunday morning, and it was sandy out there in Clay Hill, and it was making all the dirt mound up. And I went out there one Sunday morning before church, and I asked them to, could you 
turn around in the street and not, you know, wheel up through our property. This is private property. And these two 20-year-old dudes on this bus, they went off on me and said, I don't have to listen to you anyway. What kind of preacher dresses like that? And I'm like, the one who's over this property and going to have the cops haul you off if you don't get off it. Don't try to. Do you realize that the church has set a standard in regard to dress that's not mentioned in the Bible? It don't say suits and dresses in the Bible. Now, I believe you ought to be covered up. I tell you all the time, you know, wear whatever you want to wear. Just wear something. Here's a little hint for ladies, though. If when you bend down to pick up your purse, you have to hold this, it's too short. If, you're, if you ever have to do this, it's, it's too short. Because if you're worried about it, that's God telling you, mm, mm. if you have to sit down like this, it's too short. Why do you have to do that? Because you know it's too short. And you say, well, why can't I wear what I want to wear to church? You can, but if you want to respect people around here, and if you want to set an example of morality and modesty, and let's just get down to it. There's young men in the church like Victor. Hallelujah. There's young men in the church that, that you know, might just not need you to be flashing all your wares in front of them. Don't try to impress others. I know past, man, I've seen some impressive pastors. Who man, I, I never can remember his name. Every time he comes up, I forget his name. What's that guy's name? Who? thank you. Bishop Harold Ray out of South Florida, is the most impressive human being I have ever seen in my life. This dude, whoo, this dude, his suits cost about $18,000. He's got on over $100,000 worth of jewelry everywhere he goes. Now, he's not stealing church money. Most preachers that dress like that are stealing church money. Bishop Ray was a lawyer, sued big tobacco, got millions of dollars. He was one of those lawyers that they talk about rainmakers. He brought in millions of dollars and, and decided he'll start a church. And did, But this dude, he dresses better than anybody you've ever seen. Just the prettiest preacher on the planet. Uses words that you can't find in a dictionary or a thesaurus. His words are beyond Webster. Uh, he, he probably could teach the dictionary to people. Now, I don't think he tries hard to impress people. He just walks in like that. But I want you to know, you don't have to be that impressive to fit in in church. Too many people. I, heard, I have heard people stay at home because they couldn't find something to wear. Throw on that old sweatshirt. I've had this shirt for 20 years. I ain't getting rid of it. I like it. I'm not getting rid of it. Go wear it again. I've had these jeans for God knows how long. I'm not getting rid of them. And I'm not going to wear a suit every time I come in here to talk to y'all. Why? Because I'm not trying to impress anybody. Because I've read the book. And the book says even though man looks on the outward, God looks on the heart. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with looking good and coming to church dressed good. But you just need to make sure that your motives are right. Because we're dealing with motives right now in verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Listen, who do you think the number one person people try to impress in the local church is? The pastor. I tell y'all, people come up to me all the time, Pastor, I just love it here. Anything I can do, anything. I can do this, I can do that. Anything you want me to do, you just let me know. I'll be right there for you, anything you want me to do, and I'll tell them, all right, well, get with Dina Mills. She's our church administrator, and she'll find a job for you. Hey, well, do you think they get with her? No, they want me to see them do something. Why? I don't give brownie points. 
I don't send Christmas cards. I don't buy my children Christmas gifts. You're not going to get on no list, give, gift-giving list from me. I don't have brownies to pass out. Don't try to impress people, especially leadership. Just be you. Be the best version you can be. Some people worry that the pastor never, the pastor don't know my name. The pastor never stops and talks to me. The pastor never spoke about me from the microphone. Listen, do what you do for God because God sees everything. Oh, that's good teaching right there. Third thing, be humble. Shortest command word-wise, but one of the hardest to really do. Because do you know how many people in the world are proud? All of them. Just at varying degrees. No, not me. I don't have any pride at all, Pastor. I'm perfectly humble. Okay, there you go, right? Be humble. And then there, the fourth thing to do, which really is an explanation of the third thing to do, thinking of others is better than yourself. Can you do that? Can you put others' needs ahead of your own? Can you hold the door for somebody else? Can you let somebody else get the credit? Can you do the work and not worry who gets bragged on for it? Can you realize that other people have struggles too? Can you realize it's not all about you and your issues? Can you realize that people go through stuff and maybe you could be a help? Well, I, when, when's my ship going to come in? Stop worrying about ships coming in and just be a humble person that helps other people. And then you'll be obeying God. Think of others as better than yourself. You shouldn't walk around thinking that you're all that anyway. I told you this morning, if you really believe you're saved, your personal admission is you're lesser than. Because the Bible says God chose those who were less than. All the special, important, powerful, good-looking people, they're all on the other side of the fence. They're all counting on their money and their looks and their fame. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Verse 4 says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. There's two commands in this verse. Don't look out only for your own interests, comma. Okay, so that's the first one. Don't just think about how everything's going to improve your life. Don't just think, well, I I need to get home and take care of my stuff. No, we're having church. We're having prayer tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Take care of your stuff on a different schedule and come pray with us because this community needs God to manifest in this church. So don't just look out for your own things. But it's the second thing to do, really an explanation of the first, take an interest in others too. I wish I could tell you how many people in this room have told me, and I can tell you because I know who exactly who they are. I wish I could tell you how many people in this room have told me, Pastor, I feel so lonely. I don't have any friends in church. I don't feel like anybody even knows that I'm there. I just wish I had a church friend. And, you know, I wish I could expose that confidentiality and, and just take all those people and throw them in room, one room together and say, now y'all all buddy up together and be y'all's own clique. But the church isn't about cliques. But you got to understand that if you're going to be who God wants you to be, you got to take an interest in other people. If you're the last one here and the first one to leave, don't ever complain that nobody knows you and you don't have a friend. Now, if you're the first one here and you shake everybody's hand and you're part of every ministry and you come to every event that we have and you do that for six months and still nobody knows who you are, come see me. And I'm going to recommend some new deodorant and some zestfully clean or something. 
But we need to take interest in other people. You don't need to rush out of here. It's amazing to me. Do you ever notice, and I ain't talking about them much. I'm just talking about them now. The people that get up and leave at the end of every service just can't wait that last four minutes. Just Listen, we don't have enough cars in here. This ain't no football game with 50,000 people in the stands. You're trying to beat the traffic by leaving early. We don't have to do that in church. Well, I want to get a jump on the traffic. I, I, I want to beat the Methodist. You're not going to beat the Methodists to, to the restaurant. They're already there. They get out before us. You're trying to rush out of here because you got all you needed to get and you're ready to go. You ought to look around every time you come in this place and see, who can I bless? And if you're thinking, what can you bless them with? Just a smile. Just a word. Just hi. Good seeing you in church tonight. Glad you came tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Just something friendly. You say, well, it's hard for me, Pastor. I'm socially awkward. I know. But do it anyway. Why? Because the Bible says to take an interest in others. Verse 5, we'll stop on that. In the New Living Translation, it says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So in verse 1, we saw four rhetorical questions. In verse 2, we saw three things to do. In verse 3, we saw four more things to do. In verse 4, we saw two more things on top of that to do. But in verse 5, we see the big thing. Say the big thing. The big thing. More familiar version is the King James, which says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have to have the mind of who? Christ. Man, this thing's just going from hard to harder. This thing's just going from more to more. That's a good word right there. The mind of Christ. You need to begin to put a filter on your mouth, on your mind, You need to begin to put a filter on your eyes. You need to begin to put a filter on your ears. Would Christ listen to that? Would Christ watch that? Would Christ say that? Would he he think that? We've been commanded by God. I I love it what it says in the New English Version. Um, Put it it up in in that last version for me. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now, that's good for all time. But because Paul's writing to the church at Philippi here, and he's talking about these very specific things, he's saying that as you try to agree with each other, as you try to work together with one mind and one purpose, as you try to love each other, as, as you try to take interest in each other, as you try not being selfish with each other, you should have the same attitude towards your church family that Jesus Christ has towards you. Okay, well, what is that? It's loving without condition. See, we are human beings, and our love is very conditional. We can say that it's not. We can say, oh, Pastor, I just love everybody. Okay, well, let's see how you act when they cut you off in traffic. Let's see how they act when they cuss you out. Our love is very conditional, but God wants us to have an unconditional love for people. I've said it so many times, and and I'll close by telling you again. We have got to love each other in spite of each other. We have got to love each other in spite of each other. You say, well, why do we have to love each other in spite of each other? Because people are going to do stuff that you don't agree with. People in church are going to do stuff that gets on your nerves. People in church are going to do stuff that you don't like. What kind of people? Well, me to start with, the sound booth in the back to finish with, and the people parking the cars, and anywhere you go. 
Why? Because when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with problems. I heard so many pastors say in seminary that this job, talking about being a pastor, would be great if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) Studying the Bible all week long? Being anointed by God? Having favor with God and people? Walking as the ordained, anointed, gifted man of God on the planet? That's, That's a whole lot of fun. Dealing with people is a whole lot of problem. I had one old professor say, you might think that this job would be great if it weren't for the people, but a big part, above, a big part of this job is the people. And people have problems. And, you know, you might try to be nice to somebody. You might decide tonight you're going to walk up to somebody and try to shake their hand and, and say hi to them, and they just roll their eyes at you and walk off. Don't let that bother you. You might try to call me as I'm trying to get to my office. You don't know how many people, same speech, Pastor, I just need two minutes. Why two? It's it's always five or less. It's either two, three, or five. Why not just be honest? Pastor, I'd like to hold you down for an hour and a half while your boys wait on you. Pastor, I'd just like to take you hostage for an hour and a half in the office so I can tell you everything that ever went bad in my life. But if you try to call me and I don't hear you, but you're convinced I heard, I know he heard me. He heard me. Well, you can be mad about that. Or you can decide, you know what? I'm going to have the same attitude about pastor that Jesus has about people. I'm going to love him, and I'm, I'm going to know. He's weak. He's frail. He's flawed, and he's sinful. That doesn't make me a horrible pastor. That makes me a human being because every human being on the planet has all those things. And that's why it's hard to walk in unity in church because you're asking flawed people to work with flawed people. It's so funny. There's so much being written right now, uh, books in the kingdom, messages and conferences and, and, and blogs by haters who've quit the church that, that just want to talk about how, you know, be careful that you're not around people who've been hurt. Because, finish this for me, hurting people what? All right, hurting people hurt people. Okay, well, who do you know that's alive that's never been hurt? Nobody. So, let's just get that stupid frame out of your mind. Because then you take some transparent dude like me that just wants you to know if God can use me with all my flaws, he can use you too. And then you say, well, you all know Pastor Scott's been hurt in his life, so that's why he hurts so many. No, everybody's been hurt. Go ahead and try to find somebody to minister to you that hasn't been hurt. That person doesn't exist. So you can take the word hurting out of hurting people hurt people, and you can just acknowledge the truth. People hurt people. And not on purpose all the time. It just happens. People don't always hear you when you call their name. People don't always see you when you're walking. I know she saw me. I came to hug her neck, and she walked off. Don't be like that. Love people. Have the same attitude toward us that Jesus has toward you. What does that mean? He loves you with all your faults and all your flaws. He accepts you as imperfect as you are. He doesn't nitpick you. He's not waiting on you to get better for him to start loving you. He already loves you as much as there is to be loved now. There'll never be a day when God loves you more than he loves you right now. 
You won't get better and he loves you more. That's not how it works. It's when that baby comes out. When that baby comes out, I saw it. I don't know if it's on TV or, or something I was watching, but uh, some, some video I saw, and they handed the mother the baby, and she looked at the baby, and then she looked at the person and handed her the baby and had said, how can I love someone that I'm just now meeting this much? Because that's family. That's blood of your blood. That's bone of your bone. That's your child. You love them just because. Now, you know, they get older. They may drive some of that out of you, but we're not talking about that tonight. We're talking about Christians and, and Jesus. Jesus loves you just how you are. Please don't feel like you have to get better for him to love you because that's not how it works. He loves us because he wants to love us. And if you want to be the man or woman that God wants you to be, you need to be able to do the things that the word says to do. You got to work together can't be selfish don't try to impress people be humble take an interest in other people's lives don't always be about you put your stuff off and on the back burner to go involve yourself to help somebody else that's what real success is that's what real ministry is value other people's needs over your own and then the big thing have the same attitude about people that Jesus has about you if you would learn to do these things or if you'll even just try to do these things Take one or two of these things. I mean, we talked about what? Four, seven, eight, nine, 13, 14 different things in these five verses that God is telling us to do. Maybe you won't take all of them. People are sitting there counting them up in their head. They're like, what did he get? Four, eight, 10, 13, 14. He can count. Maybe you won't do all 14 of these things right today. I don't always do any of these things right all the time. But I want to. See, spirituality cannot be measured by how great you are today. Spirituality can't be measured by how much Bible you know. Spirituality is, is not somebody who knows a lot. Spirituality is somebody who wants to know God a lot. It's an attitude of the heart. If you really want to be who God wants you to be, you need to start trying to do some of these things. Because if you don't start putting some rubber to the road... If there's no proof in your pudding, all your, all your Christianity is just lip service, and you're just telling people you're a Christian, but you're not doing anything the Word says do, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to find joy in serving God, and you're going to deceive yourself and wake up in hell one day. The Bible says if the righteous are scarcely saved, where shall the sinner appear? We need to do what the Word says do. That's when it comes alive in you. What's the biggest thing on this list of 14? have the same attitude toward each other that Jesus has. Church people can be so mean. They can be so negative. They can be so hard to deal with. Oh, my goodness. Just lighten up. Be happy to know that God loves you. Realize what's true for you is true for me. That old song that we used to sing in kids' church, he's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. I hope that's true about you. And I hope that you can honestly say. Right now today. That cliche you've heard me say before. I may not be everything that I ought to be. But I thank God I'm not what I used to be. I hope you're getting better. I hope you're becoming the person God created you to be. 
If you'll start trying to do some of these things that God has commanded us to do, you can start having the promises that God has given us in this book. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for each person who's come out tonight, God. Lord, I pray that you would bless us and guide us by your spirit as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.